Welcome to Allie and Pizarro. This is Alan Allie calling in from Gerhardt, Oregon today with James Ball, our friend from House District 36. The uh, what can we, what what good thing can we say about that race? Uh, more votes than any non-Democrat has ever gotten in this district. There you go. More votes. That's like uh, in 2000. Eight. Like it's like Trump winning, like lost the right. election more more votes than uh, yeah. So right. me and, me and Trump. <laughs> well, that was uh, when I was trying to salvage good things out of my 2008 run for treasurer. We figured out that I was the only Republican to ever get more than a hundred thousand votes in Multnomah County, except for Ronald Reagan. Oh, well, hey. So Ronald Reagan kicked serious butt when he was uh, when he was running. So uh, we're here remote. I'm in Gerhardt. James is in Portland. Jimmy, we couldn't get on. Uh, we had te more technical difficulties with uh, with Jim. <laughs> we, we also couldn't hear him. So all we did, could was see him. But we'll do the show. We'll get it posted on the podcast so you can watch it uh, later on. Lots going on. We still have a lot of things going on with the election. If you listen to the media, the media will tell you that it's completely over and uh, Donald Trump should concede. If you look at the details of what's going on, there's three states that are hanging in the balance. Arizona with 11 electoral votes. Biden leads by 10,000 out of, a, I think it's uh, 6 million votes cast, something like that. Georgia with 16 electoral votes, Biden leads by 14,000, and Wisconsin with 10, Biden leads by 19,500. And my philosophy on this whole thing should be, I would think, that, that uh, Joe Biden says, I want it to be done, I want all the votes to be counted, I want everybody's vote to count, I want to make sure we do it correctly, uh, and then the, the winner will be declared at that point in time. The claim jumping, I'll call it, of the uh, of the media right now, and I'll I'll blame largely the media, which forces Biden into a situation of where he basically can't back down. Uh, I think has made this much much worse than it should have been or could have been. I I, I think the process will will play out. Uh, I think he will likely win those states, but I think you need to go through the challenge process uh, to determine that. Well, James, Biden, did you have? Yeah, I think Biden's doing the right thing by declaring victory. I mean, I think if I'm running for president and the media has declared it, then I'm I'm going to go out and declare victory. Uh, as a bystander, as a voter, as an American, I am more concerned about the integrity of the process than I am with who wins, to be completely honest. And I want to make sure, and I understand why, because there's, there's a lot of the media, there's a lot of uh, Biden supporters who are, who are saying exactly what you said, you know, Trump should concede, yada, yada. But do you all want four more years of claims of election fraud and claims that this wasn't done properly? Just go through the process. You know, it's not hurting anyone to go through these lawsuits, to re-examine the votes, to do the recounts when needed, and then... It's not going to take more than a couple of weeks. We'll have a couple of weeks of, of uncertainty and then we will have a definitive winner and no one will be able to challenge it. I mean, they probably still will, but they won't have any, right. any basis. I mean, and, and Alan, to your point, like these are, these are close enough 
some of these states are doing vote by mail for the first time ever. You know, they, they threw together this, this um, the infrastructure for vote by mail in six months during a pandemic. You know, the, the chance for there being, I don't even want to say fraud, but just irregular, irregularities, just issues right. with the election is so high. Let's just do it right. Let's count everything, make sure everything's done properly, and then we'll have a winner and it's over. Right. No, that's exactly. And, and you know, it probably won't, quote, be over. There will always be people that will doubt the process. But if you, but if you short circuit the process, if you rush it, uh, there's always going to be disputes. Now, I went back and looked at uh, Gore Bush in uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. And that was only 542 votes, I think. And it appears, and this is where I wish Jimmy was on, because he knows this stuff much better than I do. It appears that what the Supreme Court said was, look, December 12th is the date. You can do, you can do all the recounts you want. You can, the states can set up their own rules. You can do all, but on December 12th, you give us an answer. And whatever the answer is on December 12th, that's the answer. And, uh, it looks like we're headed towards something like that. These states have to certify, uh, and they have to certify by December 12th. So I'd let the process play out. I wish the media was not quite so, um, I, I think by pushing Trump and the Trump followers to concede, uh, that's it's the wrong thing to be doing right now. Fuel on the fire. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. And even in Oregon, they're still counting votes. I mean, I checked the Secretary yeah. of State official list uh, for my race because I'm, you know, interested. And they keep adding. I, had, I have 30 more votes now than I did two days ago because they just that I don't know if those are absentee ballots or what. But like I've been slowly cro- climbing in my vote count over the last, you know, since the election. It was that box of ballots that Jim and I collected for you that we uh, <laughs> that we turned in a little late. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, I, I think we're all set on that one. The, um, the other thing that happened was there was a, a big rally in D.C. of Trump supporters. And from the pictures, it looks like many thousands of people. Now, I looked on the reports. I couldn't, I couldn't find any report of how many people. Uh, the other thing that was interesting to me is there was this big rally of thousands of people and it looks like they didn't burn anything. They didn't paint anything. There wasn't graffiti. There weren't cars overturned. Uh, it was largely a peaceful rally in spite of the fact that some people were, um, I, I think there were people uh, either there were talk of carrying firearms, but I think carrying firearms, open carry in Washington, D.C. is forbidden. So I don't think anybody did that. I, don't, I didn't hear of any arrests. There were some altercations, right? Did you hear anything? Yeah, no, nothing at all. Um, of course, I, I'm a little bit sequestered from the news. I tend to get it from just online sources, so I don't watch cable news. But... Uh, yeah, you're right. You don't. You didn't hear about it, and you definitely didn't hear about burning and looting and destruction. So, kind of makes you wonder. 
um, if you can have rallies <laughs> without the destruction. I know. If you can make your point without, um, although the media didn't cover it. And so if, you're af if, if media attention is what you're after, maybe, uh, maybe you do need to burn some stuff down. I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, that's our first segment. We'll be back in a minute. This is Allie and Pissero with our friend James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Allie and Pissero. This is Alan Allie with my friend James Ball. We're talking about the national election, uh, the demonstration that was in D.C. It looks like uh, John Cummings online said that there were 12,000 people there. It looked like there were at least that many people and demonstrations all over the country. Uh, getting back locally, though, um, we are now going into a phase two freeze from COVID here in Oregon. And we've talked a lot about COVID on this show. I I've been tracking the COVID deaths um, from the Oregon Health Association, Oregon Health Authority. They publish it every day. And then I've been loading it into a spreadsheet so I can look at the data. And the death rate has risen, but I wouldn't say it's risen dramatically. The other thing that's happened is the data is not as rigorous now as it was a few months ago. Up until July, when there was a death, it was reported within a day or so. What I'm seeing now is the deaths are sometimes reported a month later, two weeks later. So you, it's very difficult to say the deaths this week were 25. You actually have to go in and look at, at the dates because many of them, in fact, for, I would say for the past six weeks, we've had an average of 25 deaths, but five or six of them had occurred in previous weeks. Um, also, the rate of, they, they tell you the death rate uh, whether they had underlying causes or not. And a few months ago, they published data on the underlying causes and the average underlying causes was more than two. So you had to have a heart condition and diabetes, or you had to have you know, cancer and something else uh, on average for the death rate. And the thing that frustrates me is that without this accurate information without this accurate picture it's very difficult to know who is most at risk and how do we protect the most at risk uh, the rigorous testing isn't there we'll, we'll get into all these things but um, we're going into a, a phase two freeze and i think we're doing it without the the data and the information that we really need to do to do an accurate um, assessment well, I don't think you can pivot. If you if you are the OHA or your governor Governor Brown, um, it's very difficult for you to say the lockdown maybe have was like you can't pivot. You have to stick with the 
same narrative that you've been going with because you can't admit that maybe you were wrong or maybe something was you could have been done differently. And so to your point, you've got underlying, if you have underlying conditions or you're elderly, you are at risk. If you do not have underlying conditions and you're younger, you're not at risk. I mean, you're at risk of catching it, but your risk of dying is very, very low. And I think that, yes, you can transmit it to others and there are other, you know, externalities, negative externalities of catching COVID, but yeah, you can't, I don't know, we're, we're in a, we're in a, a nation of sound bites and you can't say all of that nuance. And I think that I'm, I'm trying to give our democratic leadership the benefit of the doubt. And what they're trying to do is get people to act in a certain way. And to do that, they're giving sound bites without nuance. And I think that frustrates you and me who like nuance and want to uh, do this with the least amount of damage possible. But I don't think that's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to minimize economic damage. They're just trying to get people to act in a certain way. Right. Well, and as, as you know, and most of the people that are listening know, I always look at this as if I was the CEO of the state. And the state is a multi-tens of billion dollar enterprise with lots and lots of complexities and many, many people that are employed directly by the state and rely on the state to keep you employed, to provide transportation, that sort of thing. And if I was the CEO of the state, I would want detailed analysis of who's getting it, how are they getting it, how is it transmitted, um, I think can you get it twice? Not sharing it with us because they don't want you to do the same. <laughs> well, they it. didn't, but they, <laughs> maybe they have it, but it should all be available from a public records request. You can't keep that stuff secret if you're the government. They stopped the test, the broad test of 10,000 people because they didn't have enough underrepresented minorities, which I think is ridiculous. Uh, if you need more underrepresented minorities, go get them. Go find people to be tested. There are zillions of people that would love to be tested and tested on a regular basis. Can you imagine the comfort that that would give you if you were part of something like that? I mean, put yourself in Governor Brown's shoes, though. What, what possible good would that do? You know, you've, you've got, you're trying to, again, trying to give a benefit of the doubt. You're trying to prevent this thing from spreading at any cost. And what, what is a comprehensive antibody test going to do for you? At best, it confirms what you're already doing. And at worst, it undermines your, your issue. So like it's, it's the whole, I mean, Trump says stop testing <laughs> to stop getting COVID positive, positive rate for COVID. And governor Brown says the same thing. We're going to stop testing because it might undermine my, my uh, narrative and might stop like undermine what I'm trying to do to prevent people from yeah. catching. I think you said something that, that is absolutely true. You said she's trying to uh, prevent the spread at any cost. Yep. And, and there's, and this is a problem with career politicians is that she hasn't worked in the private sector in 30 years and doesn't know what it's like to have a, a, this, the financial impact of this, you know, she's working from home, collecting her salary. And, you know, it's, it's trivial for her to work from her mansion in Portland rather than from the Capitol. And like for a lot of people, a lot of 
left-leaning people, a lot of state employees, that's what it is. It's, oh, I have to work from my house rather than working from the office. And that is the extent of the impact COVID has had on their lives. Completely, and like, I know you can like maybe, maybe uh, in theory or, or uh, logically understand what it's like to not be able to go to work or your business is being shut down, but it's totally different to experience it and to just say, well, oh, you know, we're all taking a, you know, your, your restaurant has to shut down for a month. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's totally different than owning that restaurant and having to shut down for a month. Yeah. My, my son-in-law uh, owns a, a bar in North Portland and he's just closing on a second restaurant. Uh, they close on Tuesday and shut it down on Wednesday. Yeah. So he's taking on this big financial burden. Uh, the restaurant had just started to get their legs back underneath them, you know, sort of hitting their stride on social distancing and takeout food and that sort of thing. They had brought people back. They were building their business back and now they're going to shut down again. And the other thing that frustrates me, we'll, we'll take a break right now and get back. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, in a minute. This is Ali and Sarah with James Ball. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Jim Pacero's not with us today because we had technical difficulties, and actually I think he turned his microphone off so he could go watch the Masters, if you're, if, it, if the truth be known. Um, Calling him we're out. Talk, we're talking about COVID and the state's reaction to COVID. And one of the things, I actually believe that with the data, we could save more people than what we're doing now. That if you really identified who's at risk and you focus your resources on protecting the ones that are at risk, that you could actually do a better job than these sort of blanket shotgun approaches of, that have a horrendous effect on on families, on livelihoods, on mental health, on all kinds of things. I think I'll, I'll use my son-in-law again as an example. He has a PPP loan or whatever that's called that helped them through the process. Uh, and actually going through the process has helped them focus on what makes money for them and, and what doesn't. And in some ways it's helped improve their business. Um, but the people in the community that rely on them being open, that rely on them to socialize with each other, that it is a focal point for them, it is recreation for them, it's where they go to meet their friends. You rip all that stuff away, that's not, that's just not good. So I think by having the data, by having the information, by understanding more about the virus and how it's transmitted and who can get it and how they get it and can you get it twice, we could do a much better job of protecting people and 
open the economy back up. But that doesn't seem to be their their modus operandi. Right. Well, and like we said earlier, I don't think that they understand what it's like to be a business owner or to be a service worker or to be someone who is financially impacted by COVID. And again, there's a huge difference between knowing it and experiencing it. And that's, I think they don't, they don't get it. Um, my biggest concern with this, especially freeze lockdown 2.0 is going to be the, dist- the loss of trust in institutions. I mean, this state is still, 50% Republican. And, you know, like we've talked about this before, if you are young and you are, don't have an underlying condition, the chance of you dying from COVID are very small. And I think that most people, well, yeah. a lot of people know that. And my concern is that they're all going to just ignore this. You know, we've already got people, prominent Republicans on Facebook going and announcing that they are going to have uh, Thanksgiving dinner anyway for every one person announcing it on Facebook, there's probably 20 who are just gonna do it quietly, who are just gonna have their their Thanksgiving dinner, don't announce it, and you know, when, when they catch COVID, the contract tracer's gonna call them and say, hey, where'd you get it? And what are they gonna say? I don't know. <laughs> so like, this is undermining the entire, th- it's just, I think there are, there's a, a significant number of people who know that this, that this disease is not as is still dangerous, but not nearly as dangerous as the media and the, the government is making it out to be. They're just going to ignore the the lockdown, and uh, it's going to make things worse. And yeah. then, you know, we were talking we were talking before the show. The Portland police have been dealing with riots for the last 150 days and have had been kneecapped by the government and in their ability to deal with it are they going to want to go around and break up Thanksgiving dinners and arrest grandma because she showed up to her, her kid's house. And now there's seven people from three households instead of six people. Uh, yeah. When you, when you have rules that are not enforced and people who, who, who just ignore them wholesale, right. you, the institution loses its power. And once you lose that, that influence, you, you never get it back. And I, I see bigger problems coming from this. You know, there's a couple of comments online. Uh, first of all, Jennifer says, uh, wear masks. Don't politicize it. It would help, too. And I, I completely agree with her that uh, wearing the masks is a, good, is a good idea. We should do it. And my observation is almost everybody does. If you go to a store, I can't remember the last time I was in a store and somebody did not have a mask on. Well, and then I, you and I ahead. live in Portland where people are wearing masks. I think if you were to go to Bend or Grants Pass, you would find that people are a little less um, so, willing. So in, I've been to Bend and they were wearing masks. Oh, they? Uh, and Gerhardt, they're wearing masks where I am right now. In Arizona, they were wearing masks. And so, and this is, is and they are not wearing masks. <laughs> oh, okay. But this was another thing that 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 um, that puzzles me is that in the major population centers, pretty much everybody's wearing a mask. Pretty much everybody's social distance. Pretty much everybody's washing their hands like like fiends, right? Um, we're all aware of this. The number I, I can tell you anecdotally, the number of colds and 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 you know, booger production from my grandsons is is down an order of magnitude from past years. They don't get sick. They're not sick, right? 
And in years past, they were sick all the time. And they gave me colds and they gave my wife colds and they gave their mom and dad's colds. So we've done all this to really shut it down, but it's still spreading. And that's why I'm so It's like, how can that happen? How virulent is it? And, and what are the mechanisms that cause it to spread? I don't think we've root caused this because if, if we had, <laughs> nobody would be getting it right now. And then the difference between what we're doing now and what she's proposing is so small relative to our normal behavior, going to Timbers games, going to bars, you know, dancing with each other, all these things, you know, shaking hands, <laughs> hugging, all mm -hmm. these things that we don't do. The difference is this much. The change that she's asking for is this much. And but the economic impact is enormous for the people it, impacted. Yeah, it, it doesn't, this doesn't add up, you know, from an engineering standpoint. Um, it, it's like, and this is what CEOs do is, you, you know, your teams come to you, they describe it, problems that they're having, and, and you just kind of go, you know, folks, this doesn't make any sense. And you make those observations. We've done this much, right? We've stopped dancing. We don't go to Timbers games. We don't go to Ducks games. We don't go to Beaver games. We don't, all these massive, massive things that we stopped. But now this little change of instead of 20, instead of 50 people, we're only going to have 25. Or it, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's well, the end of the segment. We'll, we'll take a break. And we'll come back because this is very important for the podcast. <laughs> this is Allie and Pacero with Alan and James. This is Alan Alley. Jim Pacero is sequestered uh, with a technical difficulty, which I actually think is masters-itis, that he's watching the masters. And we're on today with James Ball. And we're talking about, largely talking about COVID and the state's response to COVID. James, did you have a comment from our last section. I don't remember what I was going to say. So, That's sorry. Right. <laughs> no, we were, I, I was on my rant about the difference between what we've done, how different life is, and oh, yeah. that doesn't seem to be enough. Well, if you, if you listen to the, again, trying to give benefit of the doubt to, to our, our leadership, um, if you listen to what they're saying, they're saying that it's mostly indoor gatherings without masks that are causing the spread. I don't have the data. I assume that that's based on something more than conjecture. Uh, and so that's, I think that's what they're trying to limit is indoor gatherings without masks, which is restaurants and family gatherings. Um, I just think it's been done. It's been communicated so poorly. And you know, when you're, you make these mandates, you know, people are going to, are going to resist. And like I said, you've got <laughs> prominent Republicans announcing on Facebook that they plan to, ignore this. And I'm like, it, I don't know. No. I, I, just, I just think it's going to backfire. I don't think it's going to work. I think people are going to do what they were going to do anyway. Nobody's going to enforce the rules and the state's going to lose that influence over people and it's going to get worse. See, this is where, again, nobody's doing the engineering on this because it makes sense that when you take people that don't normally associate with each other, from a wide geographic dispersion 
and you associate them with each other, you're going to spread the virus in, in uh, ways that just wouldn't normally happen. So if I, if I always go to the same store and I'm always seeing the same people, that's one thing in a, in a very finite geographic region. But if I go to a Timbers game, for example, and there's people from all over that I never interface with and I'm in very close proximity to them, I, I understand that mechanism. But that's just engineering intuition that's not backed up by data. But mm -hmm. you, could, you could back it up with data. You could do the analysis of that and you could determine who's most at risk and then what are the behaviors that put them most at risk? I think somebody in the feed said that it's most, that there's a large number of people that are in nursing homes that are contracting it. And I'll tell you from looking at the death rate data, anecdotally, that looks true because you just read down the list and it's 95 years old, 92 years old, 85 years old, you know, there's, and, and from the same county, you know, they don't say from the same location, but Multnomah, 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 and they're all, you know, 85 years old and, and up. And then you have a few in their 60s. Uh, just the other day, there was one that was 38 years old and reported to have no underlying condition. And I, I was like, wow, I've, I, you know, no underlying, a healthy 38-year-old, no underlying condition. Oh, my gosh. Well, guess what? Two days later, down in the fine print of the latest report, it said, oh, yeah, you know, a couple of days ago, we had this 38-year-old with no underlying condition. Turns out they had underlying conditions. And But even in that, like, one case does not mean that it's dangerous for 38-year-olds without underlying conditions. It's like, it's like saying that one airplane crash means that flying on airplanes is unsafe. It, I know. It, it, right. Like, well, statistics work, you know, you're going to have these outliers and you cannot base your policy on outliers. I, I completely agree with you. And I think the other thing is, is that we've based the policy on the assumption that the federal government is going to write trillions of dollars in checks. And that you have to, can't, yeah. that can't last forever. Uh, nope. There's, I don't know, are they talking about doing one now? before the uh, an, another uh, stimulus? I don't know. Um, I know that Trump and McConnell had basically said that they weren't going to do one, but they've also said a lot of things that end up getting walked back. So um, I, I don't know. I would imagine that they're kind of focused on the election right now and making sure that Trump stays in office. And I don't think McConnell is terribly interested in going along with Democrats right now. So, I mean, I guess I would, I would bet if we're going to see another stimulus, it's going to happen in, in January after, after Biden's sworn yeah. in. And I would imagine that, uh, yeah, nobody's going to do anything until the election's decided and mm -hmm. certified. And then maybe we'll get something. So December 12th, I think is the date when, uh, that's probably the date when electors meet. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's when the electors actually show up and, and do their. Right. So, up. and the Supreme court ruling in Bush Gore was you pretty, you have to have it done by December 12th and the federal government lets you basically do whatever you want to do. The States basically get to decide and certify. And then once the state says, this is our 
set of electors. That's who goes and that's the way it works. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about the Electoral College and people were, uh, a lot of people are upset that we have an Electoral College and we don't have uh, a pure democracy. And if you think about it, something like the United Nations is kind of the same way that little countries with not very many people have one representative at the UN. And mm -hmm. big countries like the United States has one representative at the UN. And everybody gets one vote. The European Union works the same way. So there's a lot of examples where, especially when you have uh, counties or countries that get together, where it isn't one person, one vote where you elect a representative of your entity and then that representative goes to the, um, the body. So, for example, at the UN, the United States, when they were forming it, goes, you know, this, this doesn't work. Mozambique gets the same representation we do. No. So they created the Security Council, mm -hmm. which is sort of the super uh, group at the UN. And it's, I forgot how many countries, is it six or nine? Ten. Maybe so it's ten. There, there are some group. There are some countries that have uh, that always have a seat on the Security Council, and then there are some that are that are voted in uh, right. and rotate out. So, right. So, so that artifact was the same kind of negotiation that that happened around the Electoral College, where to get everybody to participate, the little countries had to have some sort of say, sit at the big kids' table. Uh, but then the the big countries are like, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna sit around when it comes to things like thermonuclear war, <laughs> and Mozambique has the same vote that the United States has. It it just isn't gonna work that way. We've got a couple more segments coming up. Uh, that's the end of this one. This is Ali and Pissero with James Ball. Welcome back to Ali and Pissero. This is Alan Ali. Jim Pissero is taking the day off, and I have James Ball here with me today. Uh, we're talking about COVID, and we're turning now toward unintended consequences. James, were you looking at the chat here to yeah, monitor like, that? There's a comment just now about how uh, the mental health of the elderly is being affected because they're basically forced into isolation. You've got these... Um, long-term care facilities where it has essentially turned into a prison. You know, yeah. they're stuck in their rooms, not allowed to come out. For a lot of these people, the only time they that, that they get to interact with people is at mealtime or in the, the common room or when family comes to visit, all of which has been cut off thanks to COVID. And so the mental health of the elderly, that, that was just one thing. You know, the schools being shut down has widened the achievement gap. You know, it's low-income students and students of color who are going to be most impacted by not being able to go to classrooms in person. You know, you've got kids who are maybe have in an abusive situation where the only responsible adult they ever see is a teacher, and now that is taken away from them. Um, you've got the mental health of everyone else that is being affected by this. You've got increase in suicides. You've got increase in gun violence. You've got the riots downtown. I mean, you can't say that those are unrelated. Um, the the this is what irritates me the most about our response to COVID. Like I said earlier, Governor Brown and their Democratic leadership is in, is trying to prevent the spread at any cost. And they're not even looking at what the cost is. What they're doing is they are just pushing this to stop the spread. And, and like, 
you you cannot make an informed decision when you're only looking at one metric to measure success when there are unintended consequences fall out in so many other different ways and yeah if you want to say the mental health of our community is an acceptable cost the achievement gap widening is an acceptable cost the economic damage to our businesses and restaurants that is an acceptable cost we need to stop covid but that's not what they're saying they're ignoring that first part and just saying we need to stop covid they're, they're well, completely ignoring the rest of it well and and i would I could buy that if what they were doing actually got to the root cause of COVID and the spread of it because it was backed up with data. So we're doing all this stuff. We don't really know how it affects anecdotally. I mean, if you know, if you think about it, if everybody was in a bubble, each individual was in a bubble and we never came in contact with each other. Yes, you could stop the spread of COVID. Yep. Right. And that's kind of what they're doing. They're not saying, oh, this kind of behavior is the most likely to spread it, backed up by data. And this person is the most likely to be at risk. So we need to, you know, put put those people in a bubble or we need to put people that interface with them. Testing is available. You know, we went through this antibody testing. I imported tests from China. And we actually reverse engineered the tests and found out that they could probably be made for around a dollar or two a piece. And these are blood tests, one drop of blood uh, on a little strip. It's like a pregnancy test. Um, we went through the process to import them, to reverse engineer them, to figure out how to do this. I haven't seen those rolled out on a massive scale. We tried, but uh, didn't I would have... I would love to see someone from the OHA come out and say, our goal is to keep the transmission rate below one, so this will mm -hmm. eventually burn itself out. And in the meantime, we're going to protect the people most vulnerable. Here are the six or seven things that are the most likely to spread the disease, so we're going to not... Uh, so we're going to recommend you don't do those things. Going to Timbers games is probably a pretty high spreader event. Yeah. They decide that, um, you know, inside meeting indoors, uh, without masks is another one. Okay, tell people to stop doing that. Um, but again, I, I think make it make people able to make the decisions themselves because what is important to the governor may not be important to me. And everyone has different risk tolerances for different activities. Let us all make the decisions ourselves. And yeah, give us a list of things that we should avoid. And I think people will will do that if it's, to your point, based on science, they say this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get the transmission rate below one. Um, but they're not doing that. You're right. They're just they're just kind yeah. of hitting it with a hammer rather than a, rather than a scalpel. So let me be completely heretical about it just to open up the scope of the discussion. When I was a kid, when people got mumps and measles, your mom would take you over to the other kid's house so that you'd get exposed so that you'd get it. Chicken so that, yeah. Chicken pox were the same way so yeah. that you could get it. And then she could deal with it on her time schedule. Right. So that 
it wasn't just a random event when you were you know getting ready to go on a vacation or something and you came down with chicken pox and wrecked the, the whole thing it was okay this is a good time for alan to get the chicken pox let's go see sally and make sure that they play together for an hour or so and he'll get the chicken pox right mm -hmm. that was that was basically a vaccination right so i don't know that we have enough data but healthy young people exposing each other to this disease uh if i knew that definitively it made you immune in the future it, it's it's like a live vaccine i'm not recommending that we do it but that's the kind of of thinking that you do to explore these corner conditions to say it would be really important to know if I get it, am I immune? And am I immune for a week or a month or 10 days? Uh, you know, who knows? But that's the kind of information that we need if we're absolutely serious about managing this disease in our population while at the same time continuing to have a, a thriving and growing economy and, 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 and health for, in many other ways my mother-in-law is in a, uh, a a care facility that's a long-term facility it's more like it's more like club med for for <laughs> right but they all they all hang out together and do things together and but guess what yeah they, they get food delivered to their door and she's going nuts and you can see it when you talk to her that that her mental health is greatly, greatly diminished by, by this. And she's going crazy. And then she got to get out a little bit. Cognitively, she got a lot better. She started seeing her friends. And now they're going back into a, another lockdown. And that, uh, that aspect is not being fully considered. That's the end of this segment, James. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503 558 6349 or at proliftdoors.com portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com portland. Welcome back to Ellie and Pacero. Jim Pacero is out today watching the Masters, but I've got James Ball here with me. We're having a great conversation about COVID. Got lots of online comments. Um, Janet Tabor mentioned uh, when we're talking about underlying conditions, how many people can actually claim not to have an underlying condition. The underlying conditions are defined by the, I don't think it's the FDA, but it's defined by the, oh, it's Center for Disease Control at the federal level of exactly what they are. And uh, it's pretty well quantified, the seriousness of them. Uh, so you either fall into that category or you don't. One of the things that I'd like to see, in fact, I posted something that Purdue is doing this. They're posting a severity of COVID. So they, they, they say, 
we have cases, and the cases are from one to five, five being the most severe, one being very mild or showing no symptoms. And I don't see that being done on a, on a widespread basis. I'd love to see that posted, that how many people, for example, are completely asymptomatic. And when, you, when we're doing the testing that we're doing right now, especially when you do contact tracing, so James and I have been together uh, doing the show. We're not today, but we have been. If I got COVID, they'd contact Trace. They'd find James. They'd test him. He might have it. But James is 30-some years old and healthy, and he probably has no symptoms at all, yet he would be classified as a case. In fact, uh, I think James was the one that said, uh, if, you're, if you're testing for driving while intoxicated and you're not you go from randomly stopping cars out on the road to testing people as they exit bars, you're going to get a lot more positive tests. And that's what we've done with the contact tracing. We're, we're, we are testing people who have been in known contact with people that have COVID. So knowing the number of cases is one thing, but you really want to know the severity of the case because the asymptomatic cases are, are not nearly as important as the ones that are, that are more severe. Yeah, so. and I'll, I'll, I just wanted to make a comment on something that was kind of in, in the chat, but also um, discussed in the last segment is, I think we've been a, a victim of our own success when it comes to our vaccination program. People have forgotten what it yeah. was like when measles, mumps, even chicken pox was a thing that there was nothing you could do about it. And like we were talking about, you used to have chicken pox parties. I mean, the chicken yeah. pox vaccine, I think, was, came available in 1992. And prior to that, yeah, you, that was how you got chicken pox because everyone knew the older you got, the more dangerous it was. And if you got chicken pox as an adult, it could kill you. Whereas if you got it with, right. as, as a child, it usually, you know, you were uncomfortable for a week and then you got on with your life and you were immune. It sounds a lot like COVID, huh? Like the older you get, the more dangerous it is. And so, like... I, people have just 30 years later, people have forgotten what that was like. And the fact that this was a regular occurrence and I mean, should we let it spread between young people and just build herd immunity that way? I don't know if that's the right solution, but if this had happened 30 years ago, that absolutely would have been something people were considering. So yeah. we're a victim of our own success when it comes to vaccinations and, uh, we are so coddled and life is so easy um, when it comes to infectious diseases that uh, people just kind of forget about it. No, there's, there, and there's comments in the stream of, are you implying that children should be exposed and get COVID? Like, no, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just creating the discussion around the perspective that James just articulated. In fact, my children, now that I'm thinking about it, they had chicken pox. So my children were the were sort of the last crew to yeah, go 90, through. 92, Did you get, 92 is when the vaccine was, was released. I was born in yeah. 85, so I got it when I was five or six, a year or two before the vaccine was. So, yeah. And it was the same thing. It was, oh, so-and-so has chicken pox. Let's go over and get it now so you don't get it when you're, when you're an adult. Yeah. No, that's, that's, 
That's exactly true. And uh, so Steve said the herd immunity argument is extremely dangerous. Only possible outcome is 2 million dead Americans. That's the math. Um, maybe. I, I don't know. I, this is, uh, you don't hear much about Sweden anymore. I haven't done any work on Sweden lately. Uh, that was their approach. And depending upon where they are on the curve, Sweden is either doing really well or really bad. And I think to, to Steve's point, though, it depends on who has who is catching it. Like, yeah, if you're if you're spreading it around nursing homes, then yeah, you're going to have millions of dead Americans. If you're spreading it around elementary schools, you're not. That's well, not. well, and if you're spreading it around a young population, and the young population is then not capable of getting it again, and that's a big if. I haven't seen anything definitive on that. It will start to burn out once once it can't be transmitted between people. If it, if you are incapable of transmitting it, it will eventually burn out once you have it. Yeah. And if I've kept you away from people that are vulnerable while exposing you to get it, so getting back to the chickenpox, we let the little kids get it, and then if grandma had never had chicken pox, you keep them away from grandma, right? Yeah, we're, we're having a bit of an extreme conversation here and I feel like the, the chat is kind of um, fighting us on it. We're not advocating that we spread the, the disease and just let everybody go about their business and let this thing spread amongst children. All the, the point is that there are other ways to deal with this that are not as as damaging as the current administration is doing. The, the disease, depending on who you are and how old you are, for some people it's very dangerous and for other people not so much. But we're treating everybody exactly the same and ignoring all of the fallout and all of the uh, unintended consequences that are going to be affecting us for, for years, decades. I mean, even just the point, Alan, you were talking about your, your uh, grandkids. Mother-in-law. Or oh, yeah. aren't getting sick. Uh, aren't getting colds. Guess what? Colds strengthen your immune system. So are right. all, if we're doing that at a national scale and people's immune systems are weakened because they're not catching these normal common colds, we're going to have more pandemics in the future. It, it's it, The immune systems are anti-fragile. The more you push into the immune system, the stronger it gets, whether that's from vaccines or from catching things like the common cold. And is it worth it if we're going to have a pandemic like this every 10 years, is it worth it to, to do what we're doing? And I mean, that is purely conjecture. I, I'm making these things up, but that's a possibility. You know, if people's immune systems are not, are not strengthened by um, common colds. No, I, absolutely. And I, I see that with my, with my grandkids. The, and the bottom line, we've got to go to another break here. But the bottom line is we don't have the data to support what we're doing and they don't seem to want to collect the data which is baffling to me this is Ali and Pissero we'll be right back after the next break the Portland spirit is headed to the river hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront see our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. 
Welcome back to Ali and Pizarro. Jimmy's taking the day off, but I'm here with James Ball, my friend. And we'll do a little recap of the Oregon legislative races here. Uh, James, you were just looking at it. What's the what's the latest update that you've got? Yeah, so in the House, it looks like Republicans have won two seats on the coast. They were formerly held by Democrats, but then lost the seat in Bend. Uh, Sherry Held lost her seat. So uh, a net gain of one seat for Oregon Republicans in the House. And then in the Senate, it looks like Denise Bowles has lost her race, but the uh, we picked up one on in the on the on the coast on the Senate side. So uh, gained one seat net in the House and flat in the Senate, as far as I can tell. Which is interesting to me because one thing that seems to go that's flying under the radar is Republicans are picking up seats in Congress mm -hmm. that it's currently I think they picked up 10 uh, Democrats picked up two net eight or so but there's 14 seats that are still undecided I think and of the 14 I think Republicans are leading in 10 of them or something like that that it's a it's a fairly sizable swing to the Republican side congressionally and then on the Senate side it looks like it isn't nearly as bad as what had been forecast. It, it really hinges on Georgia, the two special elections in Georgia. I think there's two now, right, in Georgia? Yeah. Um, it, it will really swing on those two special elections. But what does that say about the tenor of the election? Was it people wanted a split, you know, Senate, House, and presidency? Uh, is it a referendum on Trump? How do you see it? I think so. I actually just was watching a video that um, a mutual friend Xander posted about oh, Bill, yeah. Bill Mayer um, had a, a comment on that. So, I mean, very liberal guy and he's basically, it sounded like a very truthful statement is basically the Democrats are leaving people behind. This defund the police is severely unpopular. Um, the I think we've talked about it on this show before of trying to pay for um, pay tuition like any any working class person who's going to see their taxes go up to pay someone else's college tuition is not very happy about that um they're the the term latinx i mean anybody of latino descent um most have not even heard the term and no one none of them use it it's it's this you know uber white woke people who use the term latinx the latino community does not um, it's it's all of these policies that are just alienating your, people. The, the Democratic Party is um, appealing to Twitter and not real people, and so their policies are are losing policies. But Trump is such a toxic candidate that the, that they were able to take the presidency. But and I know I get in trouble for calling Trump toxic, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, he's such a such a toxic president that um, they were able to win the presidency, but their their policies and their platform is not popular with Americans. That's what well, I let think. me let me put it a little differently. Uh, Trump is a populist, and yeah. the Republicans need, I believe, to maintain the Trump voters, the the populist movement, and this is. I would say disenfranchised former Democrats that are working class people and working class minorities that are 
becoming integrated into the economic system we have here in the United States, uh, but they don't want as much government oversight. Mm -hmm. And he has captured a, a large portion of those people. Well, the highest percentage of minority votes since I think Reagan did. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and then what you need to do is you need to capture the people that are fundamentally at odds with the, these super woke policies of the Democrats. I think they have, they have overwoked, so to speak. Right. And to Twitter, they're appealing to Twitter. They're not appealing to Americans because that's their little, the echo chamber that they're, that they've put themselves in. And Twitter does not represent America. It's a very small percentage of America and they tend to be the more, more on the woke side. And, you know, turning toward post this election, uh, let me hypothesize that everything works out the way it looks like it's going to work out. Joe Biden becomes president. Uh, there's rumblings that Trump is just going to declare and run in 2024. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine four years of shadow Trump. <laughs> Right. And I don't and then you don't know, will the media cover him or not? Or will it just be, um, you know, online kind of kind of things going on? But he'll he'll take a lot of oxygen from the other potential candidates that uh, that would be trying to run at that time. And then the, the Republican primary in 2024, if it's Donald Trump running again, I I. I can't even imagine. I say this this is on the Republican leadership. The, the RNC needs to pull him aside and it, like assuming he loses, need to pull him aside and say, hey, knock it off because you're going to hurt the brand. You're going to like, because I can see it. I can see exactly what you're saying is having this shadow Trump, Trump tweeting, you know, he's, I, I don't know, I guess we'll see. Maybe, maybe the media will stop paying attention to him and maybe that will, he'll lose kind of his, his clout that way. But um, yeah, four years of, Shadow Trump is going to be a disaster for the Republican Party. Yeah, and I, I, so the, you're channeling your inner Jim because Jim says stuff like that. That oh well, the RNC just pulls him aside. The RNC is not going to pull him aside. In fact, I, 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 I saw that, I saw that um, he's now trying to get his son and his son's wife or girlfriend uh, to take over the RNC. And so if you had Donald Jr. as chairman of the RNC and you then had Donald Sr. Um, living in exile, basically, uh, then I, the other thing, I mean, this is this is where we come completely off the rails. But the Democrats then would have a lot of incentive to try to uh, prosecute him mm -hmm. and. Right. And to continue that discredit him because he would be the front runner for the nomination next he time. He's 78 years old. He's 74 now. He'll be 78, which I guess is how old Biden is. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but just I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Is there an expiration date on politicians best mm -hmm. if used by? Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe there should be. My daughter-in-law goes through my cabinets at home, and if it's if it's past the expiration date, she's she's tossing it out on me. So, we've got 
one more segment that we're going to do. I want to turn to some local things. I want to talk about Joanne Hardesty. And uh, we'll, conclude, we'll conclude with that segment. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. This is Alan Alley. Jim Pacero's watching the Masters, and I'm on with James Ball. We're going to turn to some local news. Uh, Joanne Hardesty, Commissioner, uh, County uh, City Councilor Joanne Hardesty, was out on the town uh, at a casino, and she called a distancing that whole time as well. Oh, okay. Uh, carry on. She called a Lyft driver to give her a Lyft home. The driver had his window partially open, uh, as Lyft is allowing drivers to do in these times of COVID. She did not like that. She requiring, asked him to. Lyft is requiring their drivers to leave the windows cracked during COVID. She uh, asked him to raise the window. He did partially. They got into an altercation, and he pulled over at a at a uh, gas station and basically kicked her out of the car. Um, I think it's it, it's really interesting. Joanne has made a career out of being the person that supports the little person, the person well, that... So you missed it. She also called 911. Yes. So he canceled her ride, pulled over, said, I, you need to get out of my car, and she called 911 and refused to leave the vehicle. So Joanne Hardesty, who has been pushing for defund the police, cut the $18 million out of the Portland police budget, um, is right. now calling 911 on a Lyft driver because he was following COVID protocols and she didn't like it. Right. And I, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. I've seen this with, with many people who get involved in politics that they get elected and before they're elected, they're kind of just regular folks and they get elected and all of a sudden they're important and they believed they get to the point where they believe the world sort of revolves around them. And I, I mean, I understand. I, I worked in, in Salem and, and you have all these people sort of catering to you and, and lobbying you and, and they, don't, they don't buy you things anymore because that's all been eliminated. They don't take you on fancy trips anymore, but that one time that happened. But you still sort of get this belief that, that you're um, above all that and, and that, that you're entitled to some things. And it's a terrible thing that happens. And Joanne has, her whole persona has been somebody that stands up for little people and defends little people. Uh, I don't know if this is going to hurt her long term, but uh, it's, it's something that I saw happen, and I see it happen all the time. I, I don't know structurally how you change it. Um, I think you hold, but, you hold them accountable. I think you treat everybody the same. And I mean, this is interesting because I spent a lot of time on Reddit, which is very left-leaning. And even the leftists on Reddit were, were making fun of her and, you know, calling out the hypocrisy of the police person calling the police on her nothing. Right. But will it, will it affect her electorally? Will well, she up, is she up next year or is it two years from now? I forgot how long those terms are. I don't know. It's probably two years. 
Ah, uh, yeah, I probably people have probably forgotten about it by then. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I would if she does the, if she if I was her consultant, I'd say don't bring it up, don't talk about it. People will forget about it two years from now. It, nobody, may, maybe her opponent tries to run some attack ads, but I, I don't think it'll. If her, well, if it she, next week it would, but she know. was sort of teed up to be the most powerful person in city government if uh, Sarah had won, but it, but Wheeler managed to hold on to that. I haven't heard much from Wheeler since he got reelected. Have you? No. Policy-wise, or pay much attention again I'm, i don't watch i don't watch the news i get it <laughs> i know but you're but you're a constituent yeah i don't know i, I haven't heard anything, but i didn't hear anything from him before so, um, not to say that he wasn't talking to people i just i'm not well very, he was not he was on the news all the time and he was down there getting tear gassed ah that's true are you getting protests i am not sure it definitely hasn't been covered like it was um I was curious if this uh, freeze lockdown six person thing affect the the protests. I mean, if if they were actually going to start enforcing things now that this was, um, or you know, is it are we still exempt? Like, you're if you're protesting for a cause deemed worthy by the left, that you're exempt from COVID rules. Um, we'll see. I don't. I'm not yeah, sure. I, it's it's just. It's it's a complete abomination as as far as I'm concerned. And this, like this is it. I, I absolutely block that. Absolutely, this is a something that needs to be addressed in Portland and around the country. But like the, you cannot have the government deciding which causes are valid and which causes are not, and to selectively enforce the rules based on whether or not the government says that that is a valid cause, is uh, it, I cannot get behind that. So, yeah, and we it's happening more and more and more. Um, and you know, when I think about it, I, I my basic philosophy is I just like less government. Yeah. And um, you know, we pass five thousand laws uh, every ten years. Yes, about no, I think it's up to seventy five hundred laws every ten years at the state level. Like. So in 2010, we all got together and said, you know what would make Oregon a better place is if we had about 7,000 more laws. <laughs> and that's what we did. And I, I just, the complexity has gotten so great. I just went through this thing for Oregon Saves, the, the mandated 401k pro. You're going to have to do it for your guys. Too. Yeah, I, I set it. I tried to set it up, and they needed. A, I needed a code or something that yeah. they're going to mail me that I don't have. So no, and and then you call them, and you're on hold for thirty minutes, and finally you get somebody. And um, I had a company that was a holding company; it has no employees, and spent forty five minutes getting accused, basically of of trying to escape paying, you know, being part of this wonderful program. But it's like it's a holding company. It has no employees. Well, are you employed by it? No, I'm not employed by it. I don't get. Well, if you're employed by it, then you. And it's like, come on, yeah. right? Well, again, and you have to. You have to upload your whole career. Politicians making rules that affect people who live in the real world and just the complete disconnect. Um, I I made a comment on 
my when I was running for office that we need fewer career politicians and was getting a lot of pushback of people saying, well, you know, do we need firefighters who are less experienced? Do we need to like <laughs> firefighters once they've been done doing it for 30 years? Do we need? And I was like, this is you're completely missing the point. Um, right. The purpose like you, you spend your life in public service and you just get to disconnected with with real people and you start making policies that you think are a great idea and your little echo chamber thinks it's a great idea. But if you haven't experienced it, it and it's, it's just this whole COVID thing again, it's, you know, we've got leadership who is able to work from home and hop on zoom and is like, Oh, you know, I'm, my mental health is suffering because I have to sit on zoom all day instead of going and actually interacting with people. And that is it. That is the extent of how COVID is affecting them. Never mind that people are losing their, their businesses and their livelihoods and things that they've worked their whole lives to build. Yeah. Well, couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. And that's the end of our last segment this week. This is Ali and Pissero with James Small. Cool. Okay. All right. I will try to figure out how to download this and, and get the file over to you and we'll get the podcast up. And everybody that's been on today, thank you so much. This worked out pretty well. We got some good comments. We'll figure out how to get those comments and loop them into the, uh, the discussion a little bit next time. And uh, in the meantime, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.